the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we're sharing a presentation from MaxLawCon 2020. Our originally scheduled MaxLawCon speaker, Craig Goldenfarb, presented live to the Maximum Lawyer Guild community. And today we share his talk, Scaling and Growing Your Firm Through Business Structure and Metrics. You can also head to the Maximum Lawyer YouTube channel to watch the video of this presentation if you'd like to see visuals of Craig's reports in action. Now to the episode. All right, today we have another MaxLawCon 2020 presentation and we have Craig Goldenfarb with us. Craig, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Guild members and thank you, Tyson and Jim, for allowing me to talk. Sorry we couldn't do it in St. Louis, but maybe next year. So I'm in the mountains of North Carolina right now, trying to escape the COVID disaster in my home state of Florida. So I came up here to find that uh, the COVID experience is a lot better here, although nobody wears masks. But of course, nobody wears masks in Florida either. So we'll get going. But it's nice to say that I'm able to leave my law firm and come up here to North Carolina for quite a bit of time because of one of the things I'm going to talk about today which is to create a structure in your law firm that doesn't require you. And in other courses I'm in, it talks about that the lawyer is the hero. And we all, as lawyers, we all put on a cape in the morning and we go to work because we solve everything. We are the hub of all solutions and brilliance. My wife says I'm like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. And therefore, I think I'm the smartest and best and I can do everything in the law firm. But all of those theories are destructive to being able to grow, to being able to make more money, to be able to come up here to the North Carolina mountains with your family for a week and completely detached, except for this one seminar I'm doing. And all of those egotistical and visions and stories we have about ourselves really prevent us from growing our law firms and, in fact, growing our profits as well. So who am I? Uh, my name is Craig Goldenfarb. I've been a personal injury attorney for 25 years. My main office is in Palm Beach County, Florida, down on the East Coast near Miami. I have two offices. One is about an hour north in Florida, also on the East Coast. I have clients from all around the country because so many people in your home states may take a trip and vacation in Florida and get hurt in a car accident 
So I get quite a bit of my referrals actually from out-of-state attorneys, unlike some people who don't get that many referrals from out-of-state attorneys. So like most states, I give a 25% referral fee. So that was my one shameless plug uh, business-wise for my law firm here in Florida. Now my practice, what is my practice? Like many of you, I do personal injury. I happen to know my numbers and that's part of what we're talking about today. And I do 55% of my cases are car accidents. 30% of my cases are what you'd call premises accidents, which are slip and falls and that type. That adds up to 85%. The remaining 15% are what I call the catastrophic cases. They uh, concern wrongful death, medical malpractice, nursing home neglect, product liability. So pretty much the full realm of personal injury here in Florida. Now, I said I've been a lawyer for 25 years, and I have, but I started my own firm in 2002. So I've had my own firm for 18 years here in Florida. And many of you may listen and start to tune out because of the size of my firm. But let me encourage you, every single thing I talk about does not just apply to a firm as big as mine because the way I'm going to talk about this will make sure it applies to your law firm, whether it has one lawyer or 20 lawyers. So when I started, I had one lawyer. You're looking at him, me, and one employee, Debbie. Today, I have 60 employees, 10 lawyers, and those 60 employees include Debbie, my first employee. So you can see that people tend to stay at my law firm probably because of the good structures I have set up and because I treat them pretty well. I started with 65 cases. Some of you may have 65 cases or fewer. I now have 1,400 cases in 18 years. And that's due to a lot of the scaling and business structure that I'm going to talk about today. As some of you know, I also have a seminar series that I run called Seven Figure Attorney, where we take what I'm going to talk about today for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, and we have a full day seminar on all of my business structures, all of my metrics, how I run my law firm. And that was supposed to be in Manhattan in March, but of course, March was not a good month for Manhattan. So we'll be rescheduling the seven-figure attorney. And the last thing about me before I get into the substance of my speech is that I also privately coach personal injury attorneys across the country. Um, that's kind of my side gig. And I don't have that many cli uh, lawyer clients. They're all personal injury attorneys, but I won't take anybody in Florida because I don't want to teach them how to be my competitor. Uh, and also I only have time for five right now because I'm running, running a pretty big law firm. So let me tell you about what I'm going to talk about today. Today's talk has two parts. The first part is business structure that allows you to scale without you being the hero. So I can scale, I can add different parts to my law firm and I don't have to be the builder. I don't have to be the one because I've already designed those parts. So to plug on another litigation team or another pre-suit pre case management team takes almost zero of my effort or time. So as I said, the first part is a business structure that allows you to grow. The second part of my talk today is matching up your metrics. Many of you call metrics KPIs, key performance indicators but matching up your metrics so that they meld with your business structure. And once you have your business structure set up and your KPI set up and they're, they're measuring the same things, it takes you out of the mix even more 
and you can run your entire law firm based on metrics. Now that's assuming that you want to have very little client interaction and that you want to run a company. I personally spend zero time on law. I've spent zero time on law for five to 10 years. That was a choice. Now, many of you may wanna be a hybrid. You may wanna spend 50% of your time on cases and 50% of your time running your business. And that's because you like working on cases. And I would say that's fine. You have to do what you like. 10 years ago, I realized I was not happy being a trial lawyer. And I was really happy when I was behind my desk, pulling the strings like the Wizard of Oz and running the whole law firm. So some of you have heard me say that I'm a CEO and that's true, but I refer to that as a chief encouragement officer because I spend a lot of my time with my 60 employees, encouraging them, making sure I'm a leader, making sure I know what they need, making sure I know them personally so that I can run a company through my employees because I don't meet with my clients much. So what do you wanna be? Do you wanna be 100% entrepreneur like me? No law, no case involvement. Or do you wanna spend most of your time on cases? Well, if you wanna spend 75% more of your time on cases, then you're listening to the wrong video, push pause and go do something else because I'm not here to talk about spending 75% of your time on cases. I'm here to talk about how to run a business. So let me tell you about my business. I have seven departments and don't zone me out because you only have two employees, don't do it. Because these seven departments are what I call functions of a law firm, functions of a law firm. So whether you're two employees or 60 employees, we all have the same functions. Now, as you get bigger, you can turn each of these functions into a department like I have. But when I had one employee, I had the same business structure. It's important. You'll hear about my very advanced business structure right now, but I had the same business structure when I had one employee, one employee. So here are my departments. And uh, if you want to take notes, take notes. <laughs> but these are my seven departments in my personal injury law firm. Number one, intake. Number two, pre-suit. That's everything before a lawsuit is filed. Number three, and you may not have this, but I have it, it's called critical case. So my critical case department is any of the catastrophic cases because I know they get treated differently. You have to have more involvement with the client, more involved, more things you're getting, more emergencies, more experts hired at the beginning. So I have an actual unit called critical case, which has, I'm lucky to say about 80 or 90 cases in it. And these are all death, medical malpractice, nursing home, catastrophic injury. And that's critical case. So three is critical case. Four is litigation. And again, if you have one employee, I hope you're realizing that this applies to your firm too. Intake, pre-suit, uh, maybe critical case, litigation. Number five is marketing and community, community relations. Marketing, community relations. Number six is HR, I'm sorry, HR and administration. So everything that goes into HR, running the office, office supplies, administration, anything that doesn't deal with a case. That's number six. And my seventh department is called finance. Now, again, if you have one employee, I hope that you realize that every single one of these departments applies to you too, because those are just functions of your law firm. They don't have to be departments. So what are your basic functions? You know, some of you are not personal injury attorneys. Some of you are other types of attorneys. So you need to think of 
the beginning of the client interaction till the end of the client interaction. Those are your case-related functions. And mine were, of course, intake, pre-suit, critical case, and litigation. Those are case-related or law-related functions. And then you have your non-law-related functions, such as marketing, administration slash HR, and finance. So if you want to make, if you took notes and you wanted to circle, circle the first four are law-related, and the next three are non-related to law, non-law-related. So those are the functions of a firm. Now, again, if you're an estate planning firm or some other type of firm, I would ask that you spend 10 minutes, that's all it takes, 10 minutes listening all the functions of your law firm. And that's how you can form different job descriptions and uh, departments if you ever get that big. And so those are the seven departments I have. So if you would do that exercise at some point, it really helps you form your structure. Of course, most companies have an organizational chart. I have an organizational chart. That's one tool. And if you just Google organizational chart, you'll get plenty of apps or programs that can have you make them. But list your basic functions and figure out who's in each of those positions. So one of my, one of my coaches who coached me on business structure and organization insisted that only a maximum of five department heads report directly to you. So what I did is I combined a couple of the meetings I have once a week, and I make sure that I only have five meetings a week with my department heads. I strongly encourage in running a law firm that you have weekly meetings with certain head people in your law office. You need to have a time when they know they've got you. They know you've got your attention. Otherwise, they're going to be interrupting you. They're going to be sending you emails. And the more you train them to batch their items for that once a week meeting, you'll get fewer emails, no text messages. They won't walk in and say, hey, boss, can I talk to you about something? Because they know Thursday at 2 or whenever your time is, they're going to get you for an hour or maybe two hours. I have those with all five. So they don't randomly buzz me on my phone or call me or text me or email me unless they need to give me some information. They bunch them all for my two-hour meeting with them or my one-hour meeting. So I strongly encourage, I re, since I'm in the office all day and I'm not a lawyer anymore, I'm just a CEO, I strongly encourage that the way you structure your week is through structured meetings. And again, it can be based on functions, not necessarily on departments. So if you have a marketing person who also does HR, that's fine. Meet with her or him for an hour on Thursday on HR and meet with that same person on marketing the next day or the prior day. So those weekly meetings are, are all I do all week, frankly, is meet with them and guide them and get updates on their projects. Weekly meetings can be case-related if they're with someone who works in a case-related department. So again, how does this apply to your firm since I'm huge or medium-sized and you're not? It's really important that you recognize that you don't look at this as a big law firm thing. This is an any size law firm thing. And think of the functions of your law firm and then draw it out, maybe make an organizational chart or maybe even a linear chart for the cases, what happens at the beginning, middle and end. And then that's how you form your job descriptions. That's how you place people in the right jobs. And that's how you have a firm that scales. So before I move on to section two, I wanted to ask Becca, do we have any questions that have come up? Or let me invite you right now on the chat room any questions on my business structure? Do I don't have any questions related to that. Um, you had mentioned the seven-figure attorney seminar. Is there a website for that? 
Sure, it's pretty easy. It's seven fig. It's uh, spelled out sevenfigureattorney.com, sevenfigureattorney.com, and uh, we held it virtually instead of Manhattan about a month or two ago. And I think uh, Manhattan gave April 2021 to reset the whole thing at the W Hotel in Manhattan. So it's the same location that's posted at the website right now. And if you just check the website again, maybe in a few months, if the world is still existing in a few months, then uh, we'll reset it for April 2021. Awesome. Any other? That was all that we had so far. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen. Let me tell you what this is. So the second part of my talk is what I call metrics. And metrics, some of you know as key performance indicators. The basic word for, uh, for those of you who are not geeks is, these, is the data. These are reports that report on things that I want to know about my company. So I happen to have a case management system called Filevine. Now, there are lots of good ones out there, but I found Filevine and Smart Advocate to be probably the top two for personal injury attorneys. And we, uh, we vetted, we took a look at eight different ones, including Practice Panther, Clio, Adirant Total Office, Needles, um, and Litify, Filevine, and Smart Advocate. So we, we demoed a lot, and we really found that Filevine was the best for us. So a cool function that Filevine has is an add-on. And as you'll see in the upper left of the screen, it says the word Domo. So Domo is a system that takes your data in Filevine and creates reports with your assistance or with Domo's assistance on any metrics at all in your Filevine system. Anything that's in your system that has a box where you fill in anything in your entire system, you can use it to create a report. So, and since, I, so since I've been doing this 25 years, I was able to figure out in a couple of months, what are the reports that I want in order to run my law firm? Well, being as type A as I am, I came up with 45 reports. But the reason is because I have it divided up, how? Based by department, just like I talked about before. So you can see at the top of the screen where it says CMG reports, that's my initials. And then below that, it says entire law firm reports. So my first 10 reports, and I'm gonna scroll down and talk about maybe 10 of them total, but my first 10 of my 45 reports are for the entire law firm. What do, I know, what do we wanna know about our entire law firm? So I'm gonna go through a couple of the ones I find to be, to be particularly useful. So you can see on the left side, if you include closed cases or archived cases, and you include cases that are settled, settled as well, um, I have 1,970 cases, and then the screen shows you in which phase they're in. So this is, we phase the reports, and you can see that the phases, there's about, on the left side, there's about 20 or 25 phases as to what stage the case is in. Report number two on the right is active cases. The only difference is this is cases that are actively being worked on. So I said at the beginning of this talk, I have about 1,400 cases. Well, I was pretty close because I looked at this this morning. I have 1,361 cases. Now, if you notice the title, the title is active cases per case type. Ah, my first two metrics. These are my first two metrics. Metric number one is how many cases do I have? The answer, 1361. Now, how often do you get asked that question? 
probably pretty frequently, or how many times do you wonder, I wonder how many cases are in my office? Well, metric number one here, I don't have to wonder anything because this is updated and the they pull the data from FileVine every hour, once an hour. That's cool. So within the last hour, I know that I have 1,361 active files. That's metric number one. Metric number two, well, I really want to know uh, what type of case it is. Well, I didn't have to guess when I said about 30 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, what percentage of my cases are car accidents. You can see right there, 55.33% of my cases are car accidents. Now, what's cool is we have a list right here. These are the number of cases that I have. Car accidents, 750. Premises, 435. Sovereign immunity cases, wrongful death. Now, if you notice here, I have 40 wrongful death cases, 27 med mal cases, 17 nursing home cases. Those are all in that department I was talking about earlier called critical case. So those are my catastrophic cases right there, these three sections right here. So metric one, how many cases do you have? And the reason I'm pointing this out, folks, is because if you don't have a way of measuring these metrics, I'm only going to talk about five or 10 that are the most important to me. But I have 45 reports here with hundreds of metrics, but I'm gonna really point out the ones you just have to know about your case. First one, how many cases are in your office? The next one, how many cases per case type? Now you may only have two case types. You may have 10 case types. I have actually about 20. There's about 13 or 14 of them listed here, but I only, you can tell the top two make up uh, 55 plus 30, 85% of my cases. So. How many cases you got and what type are they? So I'm going to try to scroll up a little bit. Report number three. Again, it's the same number of cases, 1361, but it's where did they come from? Referral source. Same cases. Metric three. If you don't know where your cases came from, you cannot run your business. Period. You don't know where you're getting your product. You have no idea. Report number three is crucial. So it's, you can see in report number three that I get 21% of my cases from prior clients or past clients. I get 16% of my cases from lawyers. I get 13% 13 per, 13 of my cases from my employees. Now there's a ton of reasons for that. I have about an hour long presentation on my employee referral encouragement program but it's quite robust. So I, I have 60 employees, but I get 13%. And I've got to say, I've got to move on to the embarrassing one. My TV commercials only produce 12%. So those of you who know me from the South Florida TV market, I get more cases from my 60 employees than I do from my very large TV budget. So a little secret behind the curtain. Uh, Google and the internet, if you add all the different kinds of internet together, it's about 10 to 15%. So metric number three, write it down. If you don't know where your cases are coming from, I call that the referral source. You cannot run your business. This fourth report here, fees generated per referral source. That I would say is important metric number four. And the reason I say that is because if you, come, if you look that I get 21% of my cases from my clients, but they produce 34% of my income. That's a great comparison, think about it. So what does that mean? 
So it means I only get 21% of my cases from clients, but those cases are good. They're good. Why are they good? Because they produce 34% of my income. It's good to know. So do I want to encourage ways of my clients referring me cases? That's a business decision I make. What decision would I make based on these two metrics? The answer is hell yeah, because the ones my, my uh, clients send me produce me more than 21%. They produce me 34% of my income. Same thing with employees, which is interesting. They produce 13% of my, ca my cases, but my employees produce 21% of my income. Again, that means the money I put into getting my employees to refer me clients, which I can't pay them, that's illegal, but the various ways I incentivize them um, are making me money. So I look at each of these and I compare and I see, well, which referral sources are referring me the best cases? Why is that important? Well, I hope you're able to answer that question because where you put your marketing money should be towards the referral sources that send you the best cases, right? So you can tell how I can run all these decisions based on four reports. I've only shown you four reports. I'm gonna skip over a couple of these because they're just for my law firm. So one thing I started measuring, if you're a personal injury attorney, you might like this clever metric because it's a new one. Uh, when they pay the policy limits, I don't know what you call it in your state, we call it a tender, a tender of policy limits. So I wanted to figure out which lawyers in my office were getting the policy limits on their cases, successfully getting the policy limits instead of settling for less. So I started measuring each lawyer and at the bottom of the screen, you can see the names of lawyers. What percentage, how often are they getting tenders? So on the one on the right, you see that Don on the left, this one here, my attorney named Don settled 70 auto cases this year and 49 of them were tenders. That's a pretty good ratio. So I did another report because I wanted to figure out the percentage. So look here at this report. This is the percentage. Spencer settled one case. He's a litigator, so he settled one case for policy limits, but he's not that important for this graph. These three here are my three pre-suit attorneys, Marissa, Don, and Seth. Interesting, I wanted them to be above a 70% tender rate. I told them that. This year, you can see they're at 76%, 70%, and 70%. That's pretty good. They met my goals for how often these three attorneys medically manage the case well enough to get policy limits. So this percentage tender rate, I stole from the lawyer in Florida named John Morgan. You may know him, he's the largest personal injury firm in the United States of America. I saw his dashboard, like this is my dashboard, and I saw he had a tender percentage rate metric, and I'm like, that dude's pretty smart. He, he makes a fairly good living. Uh, maybe I should steal that one, so I did. So I can see that my pre-suit attorney is at a 70% tender rate. If you run a, law for a personal injury law firm of any size, that's a great metric. So I would encourage you to use that metric. So my first portion was entire law, law firm reports. You remember that? So now I go department by department. So the next department I have, I combined intake and marketing. So again, this is my dashboard from Domo. This is the second section. The second section is intake and marketing. So these reports are reports we all want to know. So let's call it metric number five or metric number six, whatever I'm on. Look at the report on the left. I assume that you do know in your head because it's like a number like five or six, or you're big enough to keep track of this stuff. 
how many cases you've signed up this month, this month. So you can see that this month, as of one hour ago, we signed up 41 cases. And then if I click on this, what's good about Domo is when you click on it, it gets down to all the details and you can see a list of all the cases. So I'm only going to do that once because then you got to go back to the main dashboard. Um, but when you click on any of these reports, it goes down and you can get the case list for any of these things. Hey guys, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. That's because we're seeing some really exciting things happening with Guild members and their businesses. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and continue learning, a common theme among successful entrepreneurs. There are so many benefits inside the Guild, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all of the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. Investing in a community is like the self-care of business ownership. Being in a community with other people who get it is crucial when you're creating a rock-solid foundation to build your business on, one that's strong enough to withstand setbacks, transitions, and growth. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. So back to intake and marketing reports. So I've signed up 41 cases, so I don't need to worry about how my month is going and I don't have to call anybody. I don't have to ask or text or email. This is one hour old. We have 41 cases. Now I always wanna know in comparison, how many did we do last month? So last month is the second report here and we did 44 cases. So when I go into COVID freak out mode where I'm worried, am I signing up enough cases? Am I settling, settling enough cases? Or when I go into any of my other various freak out modes, this is my, my happy place because in order to make me feel better, I can get out of freak out mode by looking at the real data. And the real data in my law firm is always pretty encouraging. So whenever I'm freaking out about anything, this is my, my meditative dashboard. I guess that makes me a total loser. But this is what I go to when I'm worried about money, when I'm worried about how is my firm doing. And luckily I can remote in and do this from anywhere in the world as long as I have internet. So you can see I signed up 41 cases this month, 44 cases last month. And well, how many have I signed up for the year? So report number two here, how many for the year? 365. That's good. 365. Now I know I have an internal goal for 700 cases for the year. COVID has put a little damper in that plan, but I can figure out at any time how I'm doing on that 700 for the year by going to this report, 365. So we're at July 23rd probably a little bit behind pace because of COVID, but at least I don't freak out too much. So this report on the right is similar. It's similar, but this is the cases I signed up this year by referral source. So I can compare that with the earlier report, which was all the cases in my office. This is just this year. So you can see it's pretty close to the percentages at the report we looked at before, pretty close. So it means that my referral sources are staying consistent in their percentages. So the report I looked at before was all the cases in-house. What were those referred by? This report, instead of all the cases in-house, it's just what, was the, what I signed up this year. That's the only difference. But I can look at that report and this report and see that my referral source percentages have stayed pretty consistent. So the last couple reports were just this month and last month, and reports number two and three are for the year. 
And again, report number four is year to date by, by case type, not just the active case in my office, but this year, this year alone. So again, these are similar to the percentages I told you a bit, but they're a little higher for auto accidents. So what this tells me is that this year, I signed up 64% auto accidents. And last year, if you remember that report, I only signed up active 55%. So that's a good indicator, a good metric that my number, my percentage of car accidents that I'm signing up has gone up by 10%. Pretty important information for me to know. Now this report number five is what I call my COVID report because if you look at the first three months, I had a, a decent January, pretty damn good February, 80 cases. March, you know, March 13th was the declaration of emergency. So March the second couple weeks took a hit, 60 cases. And then April was a disaster. May was more of a disaster. And then our stupid governor started opening stuff up in June. But that was to my benefit because people started getting hurt more. So 44 in June. And we're only on the July 23rd today and we're already at 41 for July. This to me is just, this is gold. This is golden data. When someone says, how has COVID affected your business? Everyone's been asked that, what, like five times a day for the last four months? So I can say, well, as far as intake, it's affected me about 50%. Why do I know this? Well, all I have to do is look at January, February, March versus April, May, June. Total those three, total these three, figure out how I can answer the question, how has COVID affected your business? Most of you are kind of struggling for that answer because you're looking just at your fees or you're looking at are people working from home or you're guessing at how much they're working or you don't know how to answer the question. I can answer the question because not only do I look at intakes, but I look at every other metric to see how has COVID affected your business. So COVID, uh, report number five is my COVID report, one of my COVID reports. So I'm gonna move on to the next department Again, don't think of it as a department, think of it as a function of your law firm. And this function is pre-suit. So I have probably about 1,200 cases pre-suit, 1,200 cases. And I have three lawyers and maybe 20 staff that are devoted to pre-suit. I need to be able to organize all that data so that I can see how pre-suit is doing. So I have another 10 reports, I'm not going to go through all 10, that are just pre-suit. So some people ask me, if you look at the report on the right, pre-suit cases for all attorneys, I get asked the question all the time, Craig, how many cases should a lawyer have? And I say, what, litigation or pre-suit? And they go, oh, pre-suit. Well, take, take me, for example. I have a maximum of, I'm supposed to be a maximum of about 325 cases per pre-suit lawyer. You can see that the first guy has 369. He has too many. And the next two, are about right, 295, 289. So these are my three, three pre-suit attorneys. Again, if you have one pre-suit attorney or if you're the pre-suit attorney, um, I found that with staff under you, that's with staff under you, you can handle up to 300 files per pre-suit attorney. But that is only with staff under you. I have, so if you look at report number three here, I have six PS pre-suit case managers so those are the people I talk about under the lawyers. Pre-suit case managers have um, assistance under them uh, called legal assistance. So each, each group of 300 is one lawyer, uh, two case managers, and two legal assistants. So each pod or de 
each section that I say I can repeat over and over and over again, one lawyer, two case managers, two legal assistants, five people running 300 cases. Let me repeat that because I get asked this question a lot. Five people running 300 cases. So these reports are by phase and I like to see how many people have the case in specific phases. These are my log jam reports or in the plumbing terms, these are where you have a block. So you can look at these reports and determine that a certain person has all these files in negotiation and they're not negotiating them because they have an inordinate amount of negotiation. So you can spot that person and see, well, how many people do they have a demand that should be written, demand that should be done? I can look at all six case managers and see, well, this person has more demands to be done and this person has a lot of demands to be done. They're working from home right now. Maybe they deserve a text from me saying, hey guys, you have 30 demands to be done. Why? Compared to the other people, you don't. You have too many. So again, I call these my log jam reports because I can identify any jams or log jams or productivity blocks in the system with these reports. So this one on the right here, uh, pre-suit cases and negotiation by attorney. You can see I have three attorneys. One, two, three. Marissa just started with me, so she only has five cases in negotiation. Don has 18 and Seth has 30. So if I did not know the reason for this, which I already know, then this would be good for me to know, well, why does Seth have 30 cases negotiating and Don only has 18 when Don has more cases? So that's a good metric for you to know. You know, how many cases do your lawyers have? What phase are they in? What stage are they in? All these reports show them this. So I'm gonna move on to my next department, which is litigation. The metrics for litigation are completely different than the metrics for any other department. So when my lawyers complain, I have too many cases. I look at this, the complaint report, here are my five litigators. So when Spencer tells me he has too many cases, he's right. He's got 105 cases and I try to limit my attorneys um, for this section, which is in suit, to 35 cases, and he's got 38. So this includes all cases the litigator is responsible for, which is some that are not in litigation, depending. So he has 38 in suit, Jeff has 52, Mr. Uh, Raphael Roque has 50, and George has 41. So Carl, we just let go, so he has no cases. So I look at these and I say, I need another lawyer. Well, we just let Carl go, so it's obvious we need another lawyer because my numbers here are all above 35. And I want my litigators to only be handling 35 cases. Again, how many cases, this metric you gotta know. How many cases are in litigation? How many? And then to subdivide it, what phase are they at? What stage? Are they set for mediation? Are they set for trial, et cetera? So in litigation, you gotta first of all know how many cases you have in litigation. The next thing I wanted to know is, well, what types of cases do these lawyers have? So I put in my four litigators, and I can see that George here, all we give him is car accidents and slip and falls, car accidents and slip and falls. Why? Because that's all he wants. He doesn't want to do the other types. So I can see that we have made no mistakes. We didn't give him a medical malpractice case by mistake. So George has 18 and 23, and these are cases in litigation. Spencer is my number one guy. He's got all types of different cases. He's got 10 wrongful death cases, seven medical malpractice cases. So the point of this is, if you're looking to divide up litigation, 
how many cases does each lawyer have, what types of cases do the lawyers have, and at what stage they're at. One of the things we also measure here on the right side is the cases filed. In other words, lawsuits filed quarter to date. That's another metric we use because we have goals and quotas based on that. Because I want to know how many we filed this quarter, you can see here I want to know how many we filed last quarter. So we filed 25 cases last quarter. And then we do it by attorney. So I want to know which attorneys are filing lawsuits, which are not. So you can see that this month, Spencer filed one lawsuit, Jeff filed four, Raphael filed six, and George filed one. Again, if I didn't know the reasons for all of those, this data would be gold in letting me know that, that, that those things exist. My next report um, will pass. This is my last section. My last section is the money section. This is the one that I put at the bottom because it makes me feel best. This lets me freak out the least because my firm is quite profitable. So I have several reports. Actually, it's only three. Let's see. I have three reports and they're all pretty important. So I have a quota as to how many claims we have settled um, each month. And so we have a report month by month as to how many we have. And you can see that the total is 20 this month, 36 that month. So this is basically cases settled per month. I do have a quota, so if we're not reaching that quota, it's a problem. My quota is about 40, so you can see we're getting pretty close since the beginning of the year, and we're at 20 for this month. So down to here, you can see we're in the 30s, not quite at my quota of 40. So metric number seven, we'll call it, whatever we're on, is how many cases do you settle a month? How many cases do you settle a month? The next one would be, and I'll tell you that right now, is how many cases do you take your fee on per month? But that's different, right? Because you might settle the case today, but the closing statement may not be done for a month or two. And you can't take your fee until the closing statement is done. So it's important that there's no log jam there. If you settle 10 cases this month and you only dis distributed one and took a fee of one, that's a problem. You have a one in 10 ratio between the cases you settle and the cases you actually get paid on. You might want to look into that. Well, you will look into that because you won't be able to make payroll. So you'll probably look into that. So this report number two is what I call my receivables. So receivables are when you settled a case, but you haven't taken the fee yet. The analogy I use for that is the uh, client took the product off the shelf. They put it in their, in their cart, but they haven't been to the cash register yet to pay. So it's sold. You sold that can of beans at your supermarket, but they haven't paid for it yet. It's on its way to the cash register. So these are receivables because the product has been sold. You settled the case, case is done, but it hasn't been rung up at the cash register yet. So if you look here, you can see I have 78 cases. That's this number 78 here. I have 78 pre-suit cases where I haven't taken the fee yet. Those customers have their shopping cart full, but they haven't paid yet. So there's a partial list here. Um, that's all the 78 cases. It lists like the first 20 and the fee amount. So you can see the largest one I have pre-suit is a $52,000 uh, settlement. And then again, there's 78 of them. And if I click through on the screen, I'd get a list of all 78. So when I click through on the screen, I will share some financial information with you because I don't care. So those 78 cases, if you look right here, 
total up $730,000. So my pre-suit cases that are products sold, but they haven't taken into the cash register yet, are 733 grand. So that's a good feeling that I know that I have $733,000 waiting for me if I could just get those shopping carts to the cash register that we've got 78 cases. And I'll show you my last report, which is litigation fee receivables. So litigation cases are of course more valuable than pre-suit cases. So, and they settle fewer because we've only got, we have 185 cases in litigation in my firm. So why do I know that? Because one of the other reports tells me by the hour how many cases I have in litigation. So I have 185 cases in litigation. And as, I, as you can see, we have 20 which have settled, but I haven't taken a fee yet. Now, why is it so important I know pre-suit versus litigation? Well, they're totally different animals because pre-suit cases, it should get from the shopping cart to the cash register quicker because there's fewer medical bills to, to negotiate, fewer liens to negotiate. So there's a quicker time frame on my suit. Litigation has more providers, more liens, client loan, more issues, signing the release. So it may take a little longer. But my litigation fee receivables, you can tell, I had one settle for a lot of money, $900,000 fee, um, and then a $500,000 fee. So assuming this is up to date, which I'm pretty sure it is, another little bit of work product, I have over $3 million in receivables for, for 20 cases. So those are some damn good cases that settled um, that we haven't taken a fee yet. So if I wanna stop freaking out from COVID, uh, I just look at these numbers. I have 700 grand in pre-suit, 3.3 million in lit. So I have $4 million waiting for me um, as soon as I get on their butts and make sure they get the settlement statement signed. So I call those my happy place reports so, you know, I know I revealed some numbers. I don't love to reveal my income and how big my firm is as far as money. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that, but I don't really care. I assume that you assume that I'm doing okay with a firm of this, law, of this size. So that's my litigation and that is all my reports. And Becca, I'm 50 minutes in. So I wanted to know what questions people have had on my reports. Yes, I'm seeing a question here. Wondering, do you need Filevine, Domo, or both to accomplish what you've created here? That's a great question. So Domo is an independent product, and it works with Litify. It works with Needles. It works with Smart Advocate. works with Filevine. You need to ask your case management program if they have um, uh, interchange, whatever you call it. I'm not techie. Um, if they have a correlation, whatever you call it, between Domo and their program. The newer ones do. I know Needles is a second generation one, which is somewhat old, 10, 10 years old, but it does match up with Domo. You have to pay extra, but to be able to run your whole law firm, like I run my whole law firm from one dashboard, it's worth the extra. It's not really that much money, to be honest. Perfect. So that is all the questions that I'm seeing here. Um, before we sign off, if anybody wants to connect with you, get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Uh, the best way to connect with me is by email. My email is cgoldenfarb, that's G-O-L-D-E-N-F-A-R-B, like boy, at 800goldlaw.com. That's the number 800goldlaw.com. And if you want to see my website, it talks a lot about, some of it talks about my business structure. It's 800goldlaw.com. 
And again, my seminar series, sevenfigureattorney.com. So thank you, Becca, for allowing me to host today's talk. I love talking about this stuff. And uh, thank you again, Jim and Tyson, for allowing me to speak. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.